Hey, I want to describe for you a moment that I experienced while I was sitting in a room with the leaders of the Best Ranger competition, supporters and former winners of the Best Ranger competition. These are some of the most talented warriors on the planet. These are some of the most respected men on the planet, and it is virtually 100% male, very A-type males in that room, and very, very strong leaders in that room. And then a woman walks in the room. A young woman walks in the room. A young civilian woman walks in the room. And every single man in that room has the greatest respect for this woman. I've never seen anything like this before this event, and I've never seen anything like it since. That woman that I'm describing for you is Candace Bryant. And today on this episode, I get the chance to interview Candace Bryant and maybe help you understand just how exceptional this was, just how unusual this was, and the huge impact that this civilian woman left on some of the strongest military leaders on the planet. Check out this episode of Unbeatable with Candace Bryant. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. It has been a long time since we've been able to catch up with each other. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. Oh my goodness, way too long. I so often wish that I was right there so I could spend more time like soaking you in. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's the fall. It's late October. I'm in Georgia. I think you still live in Central Texas. And uh, I've heard you say this a time or two. You know what the autumn time of year means in South Georgia and Central Texas, right? Oh, no, what's it mean? <laughs> it means absolutely nothing, right? It's still hot and humid and miserable. While everybody else is putting the sweaters on and everybody else is having fun in the cooler weather, you and I are still baking in these, yeah. uh, you know, southern temperatures. Definitely. Um, I'm on, I want people to get to know you a little bit before we get into your story, but I want to tell them about the time that I met you right out of the gate. Um, I stumbled across you, and frankly, when I learned who you were, when I figured out what you were doing, I was just absolutely blown away. I kind of scratched my head a little bit, and I was like, who is this woman, and how did she get to where she is right now? Because everybody in the room is looking to Candace like a leader. <laughs> And I know most of the people in this room, and it's really, really hard to lead these guys in this room. So Candace, the first time you and I met, I was just absolutely blown away by what you were doing and the community that you were doing it with. I'm going to get into that part of your story in just a second, but can you tell everybody just real quickly where you're living and what you're doing right now? Yeah, so right now I live just north of what we call weird, um, Austin, Texas, just north of Austin, Texas. Yeah, they keep and it weird in Austin. In a town called Leander, and I just, I love Leander, Texas, very involved here in the local community, and um, I am actually a fairly new realtor. And, All right, good um, for you. So, my life has taken a very big change into the things that I do um, and really trying to learn how to uh, 
get people resituated with what I'm doing and really be able to still help the people that I care the most about and I'm the most passionate about, but uh, in a somewhat of a different way. Yeah. Um, that part of Texas, I think you and I've had this conversation before. I spent several years in Austin, San Marcos, San Antonio area when I was in high school. I love that part of the country because it's so beautiful down there and there's some pretty amazing people. There is. I, I do. I love the people here. Um, it, there's a lot of changes. It's a very different place yeah. than uh, when, when, when you used to live here. There's a lot of changes, but still people are very kind. Austin, Texas, for those of you who don't know it, is becoming the new Silicon Valley in America. And I'm being literal with this language because every time I go there, I run into people who just moved there. They've lived there for less than six months and they all moved from San Francisco, San Jose. And they all said the same thing, like, I couldn't take that lifestyle out on the West Coast anymore. So I moved to Austin. It's like the entire uh, Silicon Valley just got up and moved to your neighborhood. Absolutely. In like two years. <laughs> Time frame, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. Crazy yeah, amount of growth, have... right? Yes. Crazy. Yeah. Um, tell everybody a little bit about your family, will you? Yeah. So I have a beautiful little family. Um, my husband and I, we've been married 27 years now. I All think right. no, 20 years. So we've been 27 years together. Nice. I, I exaggerate. It's okay. Um, We've got a wonderful daughter. Um, she's 16 years old, junior in high school, and is. I was talking about her the other day to some, but last night to somebody, and just talking about just how, what an amazing young woman that she yeah. is. And um, I said I don't want to put a halo on her head, but um, she has just been um, a delight to raise and to watch grow. And then we have one quirky little dog. Um, who's now seven years old and uh, we started off a bit rough, but um, uh, she's my per she's my person and I'm her person. So. All right. You're her um, security person or she's your security dog, right? The relationship is reciprocal. I think so. Yeah. yeah. For the rough start that she and I got off to over uh, thick as thieves. Nice. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing this little one question. Um, get to know you a little bit better. This is season two of Unbeatable. And for all of the guests this season, I'm asking them the same question. So just out of the gate so that people can get to know Candace a little bit better. Mm -hmm. It's a truly hypothetical question. And the, okay. uh, let's imagine for a second that you have a free day. There's no work, no bills, nothing hanging over your head. You can go anywhere you want. You can do anything you want and you can do it with anybody. Where would you go, Candace? What would you do and why? Man, that is a great question. I would have to say I, I have always wanted to go to Ireland. And I know that's really? more than the a Emerald day Isle. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I've... I don't know when I'll ever get the opportunity, but it is my, um, and I'm, I'm in Christian therapy. And so, um, we, t we have focus points, right? Uh -huh. Target points. Yeah. And my vision of Ireland is one of my like feel good focus points. Um, so that's probably where I would hop off to. And of course with my little family, yeah, yes. we would, we, we, we travel as a pack um, of course. everywhere we go. Yeah. So I would want them with me. And what are you doing in Ireland, by the way? Are you just snapping selfies on those beautiful uh, hillsides? Or what would you be doing if you were in Ireland? 
Well, that's a big part of it, but I also would love the pub experience. Like, yeah. I don't know why that's fascinating to me. Like, I just think about people being authentic, authentically uh-huh. themselves. I have very much the idyllic, the idyllic view of we all break out into song, right? And <laughs> and then of course all of the great photo captures on the green country. I was just getting this mental image of you in a two hundred year old pub in Ireland, either with a a glass of Jameson or some Guinness in your hand. And they're all singing some Irish limerick in the background. And it sounds like, you know, the idyllic vacation, uh, you know, moment that you carry with you for the rest of your life. That w- that just sounds so wonderful to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe uh, pretty soon. When you go to Ireland, take some pictures, send them to me because I want to be able to like them on Instagram and tell everybody, man, look at Candice. Look at her go. Uh-huh. I will do it. Hey, let's, uh, I want listeners to figure out how you, and I don't mean this in any, you you know me, Candace, and I know you and the great respect that I have for you, but you out of all the people on the planet, how do you end up leading the Chairborn Rangers and kind of becoming the force? And I don't mean this, uh, um, lightly behind a lot of the Ranger community for a long time. When we first ran into each other, you, I'm going to use this language. There's two people that single-handedly rescued the best ranger competition when it got on bad, when it got in a bad way. One of them years before you was Paul Voorhees, who Mm -hmm. owns and runs Ranger Joe's uh, sales, this um, local, but also online military and law enforcement sales company. But then you, you stepped in at a really, really critical time and you took over and it didn't just uh, limp along, man, this thing took off and it flourished under your leadership. But how did that happen? Like if we were to go back to the start, how did you first get connected with the Chairborne Rangers? Well, actually, let's take a half step back. And would you explain this phrase, Chairborne Rangers, to people who have no idea what you and I are talking about right now? Yeah, sure. So Chairborne Rangers was a group of civilians, um, so not affiliated with the military, um, so not government employees or contractors, but a group of civilians who cared about and loved one. They started with loving the military in the Fort Benning area. Mm -hmm. Um, And then through, um, I believe it was through primarily the relationship with General Grange um, that they began the Cherubborn Rangers in and of itself, which was then supporting um, primarily the Ranger community. And um, to kind of mesh the two questions together, you know, I, I, I tell people this story all of the time. The only way, the only way it can be explained, Jeff, is divine intervention. Yeah. Um, there really isn't any other way to justify it, to put pe- pieces together. Um, it's just one of those things that happened that gives me, um, it gives me such great affirmation in in my life that this was very much a part of my purpose of of being here because there's really no other explanation for it yeah i want to describe this for listeners at the time that you kind of showed up and just started working hard in the background 
civilians were not really well respected. I don't think very many people, if they weren't very, very involved in a couple of key ceremonial events, even understood the role that the civilians that you're describing played um, the Chairborne Rangers had in this. So the average guy in uniform didn't have a great deal of respect for civilians and ladies were virtually unheard of in this world. So you have two, if there are such things, strikes against you when you step into this world. Right. And what shocked me is when I first met you, you were already in this world. You were doing exceptionally well. And a lot of people, everybody in the room respected you. A lot of people looked to you as a leader, which I have never seen that before in this community. And quite frankly, have never seen it since. You're that exceptional, Candace. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this broadcast is to just help people understand how acceptable, exceptional you are. And um, anybody who listened to my broadcast during last year's Best Ranger competition with Travis, we both talked about you and both of us talked about how amazing you were in that broadcast. So now it's time to give you the chance to uh, get your dues and talk about uh, a woman leading in a, in a room that never has had a woman leading and certainly not a civilian, um, not at the well, level that I'll you were add, leading. I'll add one more to that. Yeah, I was go for 21, it. I was 21, 22 years old. Okay, so that's all three strikes started. right there. Yeah, right. young so civilian woman, every possible strike against you and you step into this world. Yeah, makes no it makes no sense. <laughs> we should we should both say right now because I know what he means to you, you know what he meant to me. We both should give a shout out to General Grange's family. This mm. incredible warrior. He really was a legendary um warrior in American history. Just passed away recently and there was a huge funeral in his honor. Um and at the funeral, it was the who's who of everybody who has been in this world that you and I are talking about. And we all had the greatest respect for General Grange, this World War II, Korean War, Vietnam era yeah. um, warrior who ended up retiring as a three-star general. Well, I was just going to say, how did you get connected with General Grange? Well, you know, so the way everything happened is... Um... So I'll get back to the beginning. I'll try to be real. I'll try to be real quick with it, Jeff. I moved to Columbus, Georgia, with the Georgia Pride, which was a softball team, uh -huh. and the softball team was playing out of a the softball stadium that was built for the 2008 Summer Olympics. I think yeah. it was 2008. Or no, the 96 Summer know. Olympics, the Olympics 96. in Columbus, 1996. <laughs> yep, aging myself, and. Um, Shortly after moving there, I, I left that job and I, I had this lady call. She was a headhunter and she says, I've got this person you need to meet. And he was hired to be the fundraiser to build the National Infantry, to raise the money to build the Na National Infantry Museum. Yeah. And so months later, after I started with him, um, and at that time, I, I said very boldly, again, I was 20 years old, so don't hold it against me. I said, I don't know anything about the military. I don't want to know anything about the military. And I'm not a hierarchy person. Like, yes, sir, no, sir, yeah. is an earned thing from me. I was very bold in my words. And he's like, young lady, don't worry about that. I'm going to be the one that interfaces with the military. 
Um, but to make a long story short, I ended up becoming the executive director of the National Infantry Association. That was the originating organization behind yeah. the construction of the museum. And when I left that organization, um, I got a call one day. I was sitting in my office and I got a call and it was the S5 at the Ranger Training Brigade at uh -huh. the time. And he said, Miss Westenhauser, I wasn't married yet. He said, Miss Westenhauser, Colonel Hazen Barron would like to meet with you. Um, we understand it's kind of difficult to, to get out here to brigade. So we'll come in and get you on the way in. We'll brief you on what he wants to talk to you about. We'll drive you back and we can debrief at that time. I mean, just that in itself, Jeff. I mean, who does that happen yeah, to? Right, right. <laughs> And I was like, okay, <laughs> this sounds like, this sounds like fun. So we met at a Panera um, there in Columbus and we kind of started the journey. Well, I went out to talk to Hazen Barron, Colonel Barron, and he said, uh, young lady, he said, I believe that if you can sell somebody on a lifetime membership to an organization that I don't care about, and it really doesn't care about me. I think that you could sell just about anything to anybody. And he said, we've got this thing called the best ranger competition and we're having some issues. And he kind of laid out what the issues were. And he said, I can't pay you anything. I can't give you a job. <laughs> I can't, you know, there's really nothing I can do for you. Um, but I think maybe you could take a look and maybe you could work your way into something. And that's kind of the way we left it. And so I said, I'll look for one year cycle. I'll just kind of like look on and then I'll make some recommendations uh -huh. based on my observations. And that's how we started our relationship. And up till that point, I had never heard of General Grange. And yeah. So it was just during that process of, um, you know, falling in love with the best ranger competition and then really understanding who was behind it and yeah. really what the story was like. I don't know if you know, you, you probably do know, but I don't know if you've put it together. The year before that, I think it was a year and a half before that, Dick Leandry, who kind of started yeah. the Chairborn uh -huh. Rangers, yeah. he went to a competition and he passed away. Mm -hmm. in Dahlonega at a competition. So only a year or so had gone by and I'm stepping in now yeah. in this really strange, ambiguous, amorphous way. So I just look at all of that and I'm like, again, I, I hate to keep saying divine intervention, but you, you just look at all of that and you can just see the hands, yeah. you know, the handprint on all of it. It's it makes it gives me chills. Well, if there is an underdog story, a true underdog story, it's yours, Candace, because when uh, he's calling you young lady, you are young, you're a lady, you're a civilian, you have every strike against you when they ask you to just take a look at this. But I need to describe a couple of things you just said for the listeners. One, the National Infantry Museum, at the time that you were stepping in, became one of the largest building projects, most expensive, let me put it this way, one of the most expensive building projects in our part of this country. 
for many, many years. And you guys knock this thing out of the park. Literally, it's voted every year for several years now, America's best free museum. And it's because of the beautiful, incredible facilities that you built. But that that took a lot of hard work and raising a lot of money. So I, I need people to know just how incredible that role was. And you were quite young when you were doing um, the National Infantry Museum, right? Right. And I can't really take any credit for that. Um, I was a I was part of raising that first 30 million. Yeah. Then, Listen to what she just said, that first air quotes 30 million, but a whole lot more came in after that. Go ahead. Yes. And then relocating World War II Street um, back behind the yeah. museum was yeah. a, a project that was able to help spearhead. But but then it grew, you know, much bigger. And um, the culminating project was after I had kind of left the picture. So yeah, I don't um, want to lay claim to any of that. Nah, well, of course not. I'm not giving you uh, all of the credit. I'm just saying like the the world that you were in, you just you stepped into some of the biggest uh, initiatives, some of the biggest projects at the time. And then what you just described about the timing of you stepping in and kind of taking the leadership of this civilian organization called the Chairborne Rangers, it was at a critical point that the organization could have descended into chaos. It could have just collapsed and there would be far reaching ramifications if that happened. And very few people know what was happening behind the scenes. When you were asked to just come and air quotes, take a look around and then I got to ask the listener right now, let's say you're driving and you're listening to Candace's story and here's what they're offering you. I'm offering you a mess. It's going to be a whole lot of work. It's going to be really hard. And by the way, I can't pay you at all. Are you interested? How many of you are going to sign up and uh, step into that quagmire like Candace did? So what happens after you step in and start sniffing around Candace? What, what happens next? Well, so the next part of the conversation was, um, I can give you two years. And what he meant, you know, for the, for the listeners was in, um, at the, as with most, a lot of military units, but with the Ranger Training Brigade at the time, they were just on two-year cycles. Yeah. And so he made it very clear, like, I am the commander right now. I won't be in two years. And I would like to work with you. Um, I would like you to make, and he would say, I'd like to make you our girl, like you're my girl and what you say is going to go. Um, he said, I think this is, it will be difficult, but I will keep bringing it back to you in regards to the, to the best stranger competition. And he did, he held true to his word because let me tell you, those first few years were exceptionally difficult. Yeah. So you helped to paint the picture earlier in regards to there just wasn't many civilians around. Right. Well, let's take it back to where Fort Benning was at that time. I might exaggerate a little bit, but the Ranger Training Brigade's at least five miles was at least like five miles into the tree line. Yeah. Um, if not, if not further. And so you're driving out this windy road and tree line. Um, going back into nowhere and there wasn't any women around, but one. Right. And it was the brigade secretary. And that's the only woman probably within 10 or 15 miles. And so, you know, coming into it and being young, um, I think it was probably a, a buck soaking wet, you know, a hundred pounds soaking <laughs> wet at the time. And people didn't, 
there was natural tension anyway. Yeah. But then people just naturally, they didn't want to talk to me. Like they didn't want to work through me. They always wanted to go to the next person or the next person. And Colonel Barron would always be like, nope, you know, I'll, I'll listen to Candace. Right. Go, go talk to Candace. And if he hadn't done that in the first couple of years, we wouldn't have been able to make the progress that we did is he really created that funnel. Yeah. Well, I want to describe now that phrase, my girl, and it was not at all meant to be derogatory for anybody who's listening to it. And they're saying, well, that was sexist. Not that's not at all what he meant by this. And you just Mm -hmm. described, imagine this training facility 10 miles into the woods, 100% male, except for a civilian secretary, one. And not only is it male, but you've got some incredibly talented guys in this group and very exceptional leaders. And you being a young 20-ish woman for people who are driving and they can't see you right now on this broadcast a very attractive woman very talented but stepping into this world that has never ever had a woman at this level never ever had a woman leading at this level i can't over exaggerate the challenge in front of you in fact i don't know that anybody to include um you know the brigade commander understood the challenge that was about to, that you were about to step into taking uh, stepping into the, your role at this point in this organization. So can you describe just for the ladies that are listening right now, describe what it was like being not only the only lady in the room, the first lady in the room, but a lady where you're not universally welcomed right away. And you're leading some really, really amazing leaders. And eventually you become universally respected. I have never heard one guy say one negative thing about you after they started to watch you, learn who you are, see what you did. Not one man has ever said one negative thing about you after you got your feet underneath you. But tell the ladies that are listening right now what this felt like for you the first year or two. Well, it was extremely intimidating for sure, but I think I was again, in perfect order, I was young enough and not enough experience to be scared or to, um, to have that fear. And I, and I was young enough to like, to be bold, like to be bold, you know, you're not holding yourself back. I think if I was maybe older, um, and I had more life experience, maybe I would have not given myself the opportunity to grow or, or stand in there, but it was definitely intimidating because, um, the ranger community is a, it's a special breed of, of people, yeah. right. And they're fun. And then once you're accepted, it's like, you're just accepted and yeah. you're a part of the, part of the, you're a part of the group. And what became a, uh, a constant over the years is, um, Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Oh, that's just Candace. (laughs) You know, oh, excuse me, ma'am. Oh, that's just Candace. Don't worry. Like, you know, because she's a part, she's a part of everything that's happening out here. But um, it was, I knew it was an honor from the very beginning. And I I think that's what caused me to say yes, is just like, like, who does this happen to? This is such a great honor. You've got to take that step forward and lean into it and find out what's what's to come. Yeah. 
You and I both share the same opinion of the best ranger competition. It's very special. Of the world's toughest competitions, there's something unique and special about it. I've talked about that more than once on this podcast. But Candace, you have had the opportunity to see Best Ranger from a seat that few people on the planet, really only two or three in history, have had a chance to see it from. So can you describe just for the listener, not what the Best Ranger competition is, but just describe what's so special about this thing? Well, I will say a thousand times over what I think is special about the Best Ranger competition is um, outside of its physical prowess. prowess. It, I believe that it's special because of the way that it came to be and yeah. its natural design, which was a public-private partnership um, from the very beginning, bringing community together. Um, and we, we, always, uh, we always came back to um, how, do we, how do we continue to push the package and support the active element um, to be able to make this the best competition out there, but then also continue to provide it in a way that's accessible um, for families and community to be a part. How do we, you know, each time you come back to, how do we continue the legacy? What are we saying about the legacy of Rangers? through what we're doing yeah. and then how do we bring industry into this and kind of bring it all together as a celebration, as a family reunion right. every year. And I think that's what makes it exceptionally special. Um, I, you know, I went on to do many more things in the military mm-hmm. community, lots of events and competitions and stuff. And people would always say, we want what, what, what best stranger has. And I said, I can tell you how to do it. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of tension, right? Because if you bring all of those elements together, that doesn't exist without tension. (laughs) That's that's right. (laughs) Sparks are going to fly when you get all of those people together. It just occurred to me, I don't think I've ever realized this, Candace, you're the one that helped connect the Best Ranger competition with the local community. It was always done deep in the woods, you know, putting the world's greatest military um, warriors, athlete warriors to, to the ultimate test. But if you didn't know or get an invite to come watch them deep in the woods, nobody ever got a chance to see it. And then under your time there, the competition started to do some events where the rest of the local community, the civilian community could watch. Um, it didn't even dawn on me until now that you're the force behind that. And what a, what a brilliant move. Yeah. I don't know if I was the force, but definitely an influencer. Yeah. Well, Well, I'm just going to say force. You can use that your word, but I'm going to use the word force. Um, How many years were you personally involved before you handed it off to Travis? I want 19 or 20. Yeah, it was like right, right in there. 19. um, I get my, I get my 1999. I believe it was was the year that I kind of proctored. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that's the year that um, Messerschmitt. Yeah. And Ahern, Rick Ahern and Mark Messerschmitt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was the year that I kind of um, watched and learned as much as I could. And then from there, um, kind of went forward. And then it was 2020, I think was the last yeah. one that I was 
working and that was kind of the handoff year. Yeah. And for people that are doing the math right now, there was a year right in the heart of the global war on terrorism where there was no competition that year. That's happened twice in history. Um, so yeah, it would have been about 20 different competitions. Yeah, right around there. <laughs> okay. Um, obviously, I'm struggling for the words to describe this for the listener. I can't really explain what I saw when I watched you in the room with the leaders of the Ranger community during the Best Ranger competition. Like everybody in the room trusted you. Everybody in the room respected you. Everyone in the room listened to you. I've never seen that with guys, men in uniform, let alone a young woman who's a civilian. And I, the first time I saw you at work around the best ranger competition, it, it blew me away. Like, how did this happen? Was that what I was asking in the back of my mind? Because I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since this is so unusual. And now I'm thinking about your daughter. I've had the honor of getting to know your family a little bit, getting to see your daughter over the years. And obviously Candace, you've learned a few things by being a woman in the room leading some very, very talented men. What are some lessons that you learned? What would you tell your daughter if she were to kind of step into a similar role, not that role, but something similar at your age? Or I mean, when, when she reaches that age? Well, I don't know if this is going to be a direct reply to your um, question, but I, I will say that one of the things I have really had to learn is how to advocate for myself. And, um, I, I, and I, think I want to that stop for just a second for and point out a lot of ladies all over the world, a lot of really amazing ladies struggle with that because mm -hmm. the guys around them are very good at telling their own story. But when ladies step up and do it, they, they hold back for some reason. So please discuss this some more. Yeah. So, and, and we talk about this a lot and I, I'll give you an example with, with Jasmine, when she's having an issue at school or with a teacher and um, I said, well, have you advocated for yourself in a respectful way? And she'll come home and, you know, she might say, well, this is how I spoke up. And I said, well, okay, let's try it from a different angle mm -hmm. and let's try it from another angle. And if at three attempts of advocating for yourself, then mom steps in like, <laughs> you know, All okay, right. All right. if this isn't working, then, you know, mom needs to come in and step in. Um, I don't, you know, sometimes we wonder if the things that we've learned are we are we able to translate to our to our kiddos. And it would be so interesting. I need to probably sit down and talk with her and just ask her some questions. Because I would say one of the things that I had to learn in working with the Rangers is, and you'll probably uh, like this, appreciate this, is that we had to find a way to yes a lot. Yeah. And it wasn't always, it wasn't always clean cut. Right. But that's what commanders taught me. The commanders that I work for taught me, well, how do we find our way to yes, Candace? Uh -huh. You know, and so, and what they were talking about with me is, you know, we had to worry about joint ethics regulations mm -hmm. and making sure we're doing the right thing and that we're doing the right thing by, um, by the military. We're doing the right thing. When we started working a lot more with industry, are we doing the right thing by them? Are we doing the right thing by families? And how do you take all of that and then find your way to yes, when yeah. a lot of times that knee jerk reaction is no. Right. 
no, you can't go forward. And so I know that rings, that rings in my head all of the time as I'm faced with circumstances. And I hope that I'm imparting that um, as we go along. It's like, okay, but how do we find our way to yes? Okay. How do we take this, but respectfully find our way, find our way forward? Yeah. Yes is really hard when you're talking about a very high profile. It doesn't get any more high profile in the military than the best ranger competition, which means a lot on the line, lots of people watching. There's a lot of ways that this thing can go wrong. So it's just easy for people to step in and to say, no, we're not going to do that because they're afraid of, you know, getting in trouble and finding your way to yes is hard in complex situations. This situation, it can be really, really hard to find your way to yes um, in something this high profile, this important with this many people looking at it. Yeah, Candace, so did um, that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it did. I'm watching you right now and uh, you're in your home. And for people that aren't watching this broadcast on YouTube, you've got... Um, memorabilia on the walls from parachutes and from rangers and warriors and people have honored you for the two decades of your life it's not just the best ranger competition you and i have been connected on veteran events um, outside of the ranger community as well you have given as much to the veteran community to warriors and the veteran community as any person who's spent their entire life in it. You've given that much to it and you've done it as a civilian, um, just committed to the veteran community. There's a moment that I think I'm going to remember about you. And it's when you were stepping away from Best Ranger for the last time. And at that big uh, dinner with all of the sponsors and some of the previous winners and the, the leaders connected with Best Ranger, I watched you in the room, but I watched the rest of the room every person in the room universally respected you you honored everybody in the room but there was a great degree of anxiety like uh oh candace is leaving we're in trouble what do we do now because as long as candace is here we all feel like we're going to be okay when candace leaves and it's it's incredible the guys that are thinking this but when candace leaves and now we're all concerned what does next year look like Um, And I want to just tell you, Candace, I have never met a civilian that has honored the military more than you. You really showed what that looks like over 20 years. But I saw it most clearly when you were saying your goodbyes at that awards Mm -hmm. dinner, at that celebration dinner, um, the sponsor dinner that last year at Best Ranger. In fact, uh, I think the military community has left so much of an impression on you that you have it tattooed on your skin. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell what honoring this community has meant to you? Because I'm I'm trying to tell everybody what it's meant to the community, the way that you've honored them. I'm not sure I understand your question. Yeah. So Sorry. you have honored warriors unlike any civilian I've ever met in my life. Why did you go to those extremes because it obviously came from the heart. And I saw that most clearly at that last sponsor's dinner. Why did you give that much of yourself to it? I think there's so much intertwined. And um, I've mentioned being in uh, therapy right now, I'm talking about a lot of these things uh, within my own counseling and therapy sessions. And for me, Really, at the time that all of this started to culminate, culminate, 
um, I really needed male figures in my life that could be solid and steady and provide safety and not necessarily always physical safety, but just a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, because like I said, when I was in my twenties, my first reaction was, I don't care. I don't know anything about the military and I don't care about the military. So that was kind of my, my mindset for a long time. But as I came to everything, I think that was like the perfect storm is that I kind of had this gap in, in my life in, in a way that folks kind of really settled into. And after those first couple of years, um, the reason why I think, Jeff, that a lot of people really respected me is because they knew what happened in those first couple yeah, of years, right. what had to have happened in those first couple of years. You know, even if you weren't there and kind of saw it firsthand, yeah. you're like, that had to be tough. Like you right. earned, you, you know, you earned it. Yeah. Right? And so once we kind of settled into that, it really became um, this was my brotherhood. This was, you know, people filled the roles of different male figures in my life. Yeah. And I really gained this affinity for what folks were doing and um, why we were doing it. And mm-hmm. then the mindset of the warrior ethos and the, uh, you know, the Ranger Creed really the Ranger Creed is a daily part of my life. And like you said, I've got a part of it tattooed on my body. Um, It's so significant to me um, that I I don't recite the creed every day, but there are elements that are threaded through every aspect and every relationship in my life. So um, that is a passion that will never go away. Honoring that, um, I'll, I'll fight for that every day. Yeah. (laughs) You have honored warriors more than any civilian I've ever met in my life. Um, and you did it better than most people who are in uniform or married to the military. And I'm just, I'm trying to explain to everybody just how unusual this is. I've never seen anything like it before. Candace, you and I share something in common. Um, now I want to get personal with you for a little bit. I'll be honest with you. I trust you to be honest with me. The reason for mm-hmm. this broadcast, this unbeatable podcast, is to help people that are struggling figure out how to keep going. And when I transitioned from the Army, I thought it was going to be simple. I thought it was going to be easy. Sure, I joined the Army while I was still in high school. I spent my entire adult life in the Army. It it literally impacted every bit of who I was, but I just thought I'll be able to take the uniform off. I'll be able to step into the civilian world. I'll do it seamlessly and I won't look back. And the truth is I struggled. I still struggle. And I've been out of the army for more than 10 years and I struggled far more than I thought I would. Every single warrior who put their heart and soul into it has struggled. Some of them struggled significantly. Some of them have not struggled well, and they turned to pills or the bottle or worse, a pistol, um, because they couldn't handle the struggle. And just before we, we started this broadcast, you and I were talking about a little bit of the struggle that you're going through, stepping away from this family that you earned, that you developed in the military community. So 
I want, would you help somebody right now? Maybe there's a military guy or gal or somebody who's having a major change in life and they're going through a air quotes identity crisis and they're wrestling with who they are and what makes them important and what their future looks like. Can you help them walk through this? Because I know you're walking through it right now. And honestly, I'm still walking through it. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I think we'll continuously walk through it. But um, yeah, I was sharing that this is this is probably one of the, the big hurdles in my life. Um, and I knew when we made the decision kind of as a family unit that um, Jasmine was going into middle school mm-hmm. and just in a very formative time of her life. And then some other things were going on. It's like, it would be better to go ahead and start a a healthy separation. And I I wanted to make sure that I valued and I honored all the relationships and I could keep the relationships. So the livelihood part of it, um, you know, my profession was kind of detached, but I wanted to be able to maintain the significance of the relationships. And folks told me, um, you know, when I made that decision, they said, you know, Candace, you've been helping because I work with an organization called Gallant View, Mm -hmm. where we work with veterans going through transition. And, um, you know, you've been working with veterans for years in regards to transitioning from the military to their civilian lives. But you've been doing this for 20 years. This has been your life. You're going to have some things to walk through. And I definitely didn't. And you might have been one of the ones that told me. I don't know. But um, I don't I know that I didn't value it the way that I needed to value that conversation because you just don't know till you start walking through it. And um, and so the. I started having like, um, just questions like, right. Did I make the right decision? Oh my gosh, I feel lonely. My whole universe is, I I disrupted my whole universe. Everything that I knew about myself, every, the way that everybody knows me is as this, almost like a character, you know, as this person. And I have to constantly remind myself, well, what, what are the things that we would talk with veterans about? You know, you are, your identity is so much bigger. You're a wife, you're a mother, you are a child of God, right. you are um, your purpose. You, you have this big purpose. And this one point in time was just that. It was like this one kind of point in time, a part of your purpose-filled journey. And you've got this whole other part that's left to explore. Um, and so I, I would say I'm right in the middle of trying to navigate that. And for me, trying to figure out now, I've, I've kind of created a separation for several years to kind of really feel my whole self and yeah. feel healthy mentally, you know, around everything. And now it's like, well, how do I, how do I step back in Right. And not disrupt anything, yeah. like yeah. not create disruption, um, have it be very healthy and balanced. Um, and I think I'm tiptoeing. I was just having Good a conversation with uh, the PJs reached out to me. The PJ community reached yeah. out to me the other day about something. And um, and I said, I'm just tiptoeing. Like, um, yeah. I, I'm definitely happy to have conversations and see how I can be helpful. Um, but I really need to just navigate this day by day. Um, 
so that I keep moving forward as a whole person and not just this one segment of myself. It's so fascinating to listen to you right now because you're just what you're describing at the heart level sounds like every warrior that has invested most of their life in the military, they've separated and they're all saying, well, who am I now? And what does my future look like? And there's this strong pull to dive back into the world that you were in. And I mean, dive in head first and just act like the time away didn't happen. And you just go right back to the person that you were before you left the community. That pull is really strong and so strong that some people just can't turn it back or turn it down. And all they do is just get tied in in a different capacity, but they stay, you know, immersed in it for the rest of their life. I I'd readily admit I still struggle a little bit with leaving the military. Um, and it's had such a big impact on me. Um, I don't want to leave it completely. I want to stay closely connected, but I want to do it at, from a different angle now, um, you know, advising and being there to support people when they, they are looking for it. Um, but I'm also thinking there are people that are listening to this podcast. It's on in the background and or they're driving right now and they're thinking, finally. Jeff normally talks to people who went through this crazy problem and he talks to them after the problem is over with and everything is rosy on the other side. And by the way, it's not always rosy on the other side, but Jeff is talking to them after it's over with and they're thinking to themselves, but I need help now because I'm going through it now. Jeff is never talking to somebody who's going through it. He's always talking to somebody who just went through it. So I think there's somebody who's going through a divorce somebody who's going through a bankruptcy, somebody who's going through a catastrophic problem in their family. I, I'm convinced there's somebody who's going through a job change and they've invested all that they are in their job and then it just got pulled out from underneath them. And you've got their attention right now, Candace, because you're going through it and they're going through it and they're asking, what are you doing right now to keep yourself healthy. What are you doing so that you don't make some bad decisions and the future is worse than the past? So mm -hmm. can you just be real honest with them and just give them a, what are you doing right now to keep yourself healthy as you walk through, work through this? Well, my honest answer is, and I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but it's the question that I ask myself every day. The question that I ask myself every day is what does love require of me? Um, Wait, I need you to say that again because somebody was driving and they missed it. What is the question you ask yourself every day? What does love require of me? And um, so when I am now faced with more folks um, willing to re, you know, re-engage with me um, in regards to the military community or whether it be new professional pursuits or you know things that I'm trying, I really ask myself this question every day in the steps that I take, well, what does love require of me today? And um, that's how I'm, I'm choosing to try to navigate the yeah. waters. And so it's not from a position. And, and one of the things I, I think I, I need to help the audience understand, and maybe you, is that I did a, like a spiritual pathways, a spiritual uh -huh. gifts kind of analysis everything for me comes up service. Yeah, okay? of course. So from, I'm very service oriented. Um, 
And so I have to, whereas that was very affirming to me when all of that became real, it's like, oh, okay, now right. I know why I keep yeah. getting myself yeah. in these positions because it's my gifts and my pathways. But instead of coming to it from always like that's my knee jerk reaction, mm -hmm. right? When I step back and when I think about love and vastness of love, I've got to consider myself. I have to consider my family. I have to consider um, the folks that are sitting on the other side of me. And um, unfortunately, I don't always get it right the first time. And, and that's a conversation I'm having that I found myself having with my, my daughter when I react to something of yeah. hers. And then I go in and I apologize and, and, and I let her know, like, I really want to get this right the first time. Yeah. I'm struggling to try to get it right the first time as we move forward. But that question has helped me tremendously. Every parent that I know does what you just described, sits down with their child and says, I didn't get that right. I'm sorry. I didn't get that right. I'm trying hard to get this right. And especially with the first child or your only child, it's like, I, nobody gave me an instruction manual with you. So I'm still trying to figure this one out, but it takes genuine humility to have those conversations. Um, and you're right. Uh, when love is your guide, you rarely are going to make some bad decisions. But Candace, I want to also thank you for being vulnerable enough to mention more than once in this episode that you're also getting outside help. And quite honestly, I there are very few of these episodes that somebody was really struggling who didn't get outside. In fact, the guys that didn't get outside help that I've interviewed in the past, all of them said, I wish I would have. And everybody else, virtually everybody else said, I needed help. I went to see somebody or I got a counselor or I had a good friend that I started really, really uh, going to. And I think that's almost universal with people that are struggling, especially mm -hmm. struggling to find them or their way back to who they really are they've let their job or their profession kind of become their identity. And then when that changed their whole identity, uh, their whole world got turned upside down. And now they got to go back to, to the basics and figure out who, who am I and what makes me tick. And usually people need a little bit of help at that point. It's actually not a bad thing if you need a little bit of help at that point. Yeah. And groups of people, right? Like small groups of people, be, like mm -hmm. being intentional. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that I've had to do is, um, and that was my concentration this year. Like, how do I be very intentional about my health and um, both spiritual, mental, and physical, or all three, spiritual, mental, mental and physical? Yeah. And how do I create connection in these various different areas that's going to move me in the direction help guide me in the direction um, that I need to move in for the next yeah. part of my journey. Well, Candace, I want to wrap this episode up by saying you uh, served for two decades among some of the guys who set the example that the rest of the military looked up to. And you were universally recognized as the person in the room that all of us looked up to. You set an example for the people that were setting an example. The people that others looked up to, all of them looked up to you. 
And I just want to tell you, um, it was an honor to be able to be around you and to just watch you um, as you served the veteran community, as you loved your family in the process, and as you did it really, really well. Um, so thank you for being on this episode today. Thank you. You've been so affirming today, too, and I appreciate that. Hey guys, there you have it. I was struggling for the words during this interview to help you understand just how unusual, I've never seen this before, the kind of influence that Candace had, the people that she had influence over and how well-respected she was. If it sounds like I'm gushing on her, I am because I've never seen anything like this before. And then she said something in this episode that really really hit me where I'm sitting. I hope it hit you as strongly. She asks herself a question and lets the answer to that question drive how she handles challenges and how she goes through her day. In fact, I'm going to use this question this week. And here's my challenge for you. Would you let Candace's question drive your decisions and help you handle your challenges this week? Here's her question. What does love require of me in this situation? When you can figure the answer to that question out, no matter how challenging or how complex the question, you know what to do next. And this week, I'm going to ask myself, what does love require of me in these challenging, complex circumstances? Thank you for joining me for this episode of Unbeatable. If you're following us on social media, you get a chance to hear updates, you get a chance to find out about previous guests, you get a chance to learn more about what's coming up. If you're not following us, why don't you go ahead and search for us anywhere on social media, all of the prominent platforms, just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. And by the way, if you haven't done it already, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to this podcast. I want to give you a free gift. You say there's no such thing as free lunch. Well, this thing is absolutely free. I created a PDF. It is chocked full of quotes and ideas and phrases to help you look at and get through your toughest days. This PDF is called the Survival Guide. It was made for the Unbeatable Army. And if you want to become part of this Unbeatable Army and get this free PDF download, all you got to do is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com and right there on that page, I'll give you the survival guide. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Unbeatable. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.